Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he's fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak below Bethel, so it was named Alan Bakuth. After Jacob returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel, so he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Guys, one of the biggest things we learned this morning is that it's good for us to hear the same truth over and over. It's good for us to hear the same truth over and over. It's good for us to hear the same truth over. Most of the events that happened in chapter 35 have already happened in chapters 28 and 33 of Genesis. If you've been following along, you might have heard some of that that Miranda was reading and thought that, didn't we already read this? Well, we didn't, but we did. Um, all of these, most of these things, the key events in this chapter have happened before, but what's cool is that we see Jacob growing through the repetition of those things. God has already said those same things to him. He's already had those same encounters basically at that same place, but he's interpreting God's faithfulness through a different light because he's grown since then. He's seen God provide since then. And even though he's already heard that, he needs to hear it again and again, just like us. Let's jump right into this. Chapter 35, verse 1. It says this, God said to Jacob, arise and go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Verse 2. Look, at, look, look how Jacob responds to this after God says, go to Bethel. You're going to build an altar there. You're going to live there. And look what his immediate response is in verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. And I was studying this text. The first thing that came to my mind when I read this was that it's so interesting that no instruction was given to him about setting aside these other gods. That whether it was him or one of his wives or servants, some people among his camp had other gods other than the God that had appeared to him, the God of his father and grandfather. They had other gods they'd worshipped. And when God said, I want you to go to Bethel, 
build an altar and worship me there without any other instruction. He just knows. He just instinctively understands there is no room for these other gods when we do this. When we come to this place, when we build an altar to the one true God to worship him, there's no room, there's no place for these other gods that are among us. The idea is that there's no comparison. And that the first observation I want to make this morning is just that, that there is only one true God. There's only one true God. Kids, are you guys listening? Let's try that again. Kids, are y'all listening? Very good. All right, guys, how many of y'all have been in school and learned the difference in compare and contrast yet? Anybody? So comparing something is when you take two things and you talk about all the things they have in common, the ways that they're alike the things that they have um, in common. Contrasting something is taking two things and talking about how they're different, how they're apart from one another. So let me just give you an example of this. Um, Kids, how many of you guys, raise your hand if you've been to Chick-fil-A. Anyone? Yeah? Okay. Um, I hope that you guys understand um, that Chick-fil-A would stand in contrast to a place like McDonald's. Right? That, like... Chick-fil-A is in every way better and different than somewhere like McDonald's. It's superior. The two don't really deserve to be put in the same sentence and compared um, with one another. Comparing Chick-fil-A and McDonald's, you can't really compare them. You can only contrast them because to compare them would be like, it'd be like comparing something very good to something very bad. It's essentially what comparing Chick-fil-A and McDonald's is like. I mean, I, McDonald's isn't, they're not all bad, right? They they came up with a Happy Meal idea, which is, which is genius, right? Like in order to get kids come here, let's give them some food and, and put, a, put a toy in there. It'll be really cool. Some people at Chick-fil-A sat around and goes, hey, guys, let's do the same thing. But in the bag, along with the toy, let's put good food in it. Let's try that. And that, that's how we got Chick-fil-A. Um, <laughs> have y'all seen this, this deal with like the, the comparison with Popeyes and Chick-fil-A on social media lately? Like, the whole thing's kind of ridiculous, right? Um, I haven't had the Popeye's chicken sandwich. Apparently, Popeye's released a chicken sandwich with this big deal. It's better than Chick-fil-A's, whatever. And, like, my whole thing is, like, even if that's true, let's just, let's just go out on a limb and suppose they did make a better chicken sandwich. They still don't have waffle fries. They just don't. Um, and until another fast food restaurant finds a way to make a good chicken sandwich, add waffle fries... Fill it with 50 employees who are actually happy to be there and, I don't know, like clean the restroom. Until that happens, Chick-fil-A stands in the category by itself, right? Like there's nothing other fast food restaurant that compares to Chick-fil-A. Another, another version of this we could say um, in terms of comparing and contrasting things. I want you to think for a minute about um, Olympics, right? Michael Phelps, um, hands down greatest Olympian of all time. The guy has 23 gold medals at the Olympics. The second person... That's next to him, most gold medals, second most gold medals is nine, right? He just, he stands in a category all by himself, just this amazing swimmer. Um, I was, I don't know if you guys have ever like been to an Olympic sized swimming pool. I went, I went to one once and I, I, uh, I, I looked at from where I stood into the other end of that thing and I thought about how these guys swim that like, you know, 20, 50, however many times and like, 
I can make it all the way across, and I did it without grabbing onto the rope, and I thought that was like a pretty big accomplishment, right? Like, if I were to do that, go there and back twice, that would be like a PR for me. That would be like, I would consider that an amazing accomplishment, but even though to me that would be a great accomplishment, here's the deal, listen, you would never dream of celebrating that personal accomplishment I had by putting me on the same stage as Michael Phelps and saying these two guys have done similar things, right? The, the idea is that it would, be in a sh- it would be shameful, offensive, and an affront to his true greatness and to his true accomplishments to put me on a stage or on a podium next to him. It would be ridiculous, offensive. It would be an affront to someone who is truly great to put someone who is not great next to them and compare the two. And I think that's what we see in Jacob right here, that Jacob has come to understand that the God of his father, the God of his grandfather, is the one true God who created everything, who has protected him in time of need, who has been there for him. And he understands that there is no other room. It would be an affront and an offense to put any other God next to him. So when God calls him and says, I want you to go to Bethel, I want you to worship me there, I want you to build an altar, the first thing he instinctively does is says, these other gods, they gotta go. They're out. There is only one true God and there is no room on our altars, on our place of worship, in our thinking for anyone or anything else. I want you to look what happens in chapter uh, 35, verse four. He says, so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, all the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. Now, when I first read that, I was reading this text this week, I thought, he hid them under a tree. I thought, is that, is that like just in case we'll know where they are and we can go back to them? But then if you keep reading, it's really interesting. Look in verse 8, it says, while they're on this journey, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So they called its name Alon Bakuth. And so it's like if you keep reading the text, it kind of answers what that meant when they buried them. And the idea was that to bury someone under a tree was kind of a, a ceremonial thing to remember that their departure, that they are gone. That person is dead now, never to come back. And so when he had these guys bury these gods under a tree, it was like they're dead. It was like these things are gone. They're dead. We're done with them, we're moving on. There's no place for them among us anymore. Guys, I I had a conversation with a friend of mine, this was probably a month ago. Um, This friend of mine, I knew that he he had this belief because of previous conversations of called uh, religious pluralism, which here's basically the idea of religious pluralism is that if God is on top of a mountain, Um, and we are at the base of the mountain, that all of us are trying to find a way to reach God, to be at peace with him, to connect with him, to be with him. That's the journey all of us are on, and that some of us may go up the north face of the mountain, and that that path may be the path of Jesus. And on the other side of the mountain, there may be another path following Buddha or Muhammad or some other someone who considers themselves a prophet, and that's another path. But at the end of the day, we all reach the same spot, all roads, all paths eventually lead to the same God. That's the, the belief this guy had. And I'd had a conversation about that with him before and trying to help him understand why that's, that's not what Scripture teaches. That's not what I believe. Um, one of the things I said was, well, it, it would be, it'd be really cruel of God 
to send his son to die a traitor's death and be crucified and tortured upon a cross if there was another way for us to be reconciled with him, right? That would seem like a cruel thing to do to your one and only son if there was some other path of reconciliation. And continue talking, I went to verses like John 14, 6, where Jesus himself claims, look, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus claims that exclusivity. Acts 4, 12, it says, there's no salvation in anyone else, for there is no other name among men given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. And so I'm going through these verses and it's kind of making sense and we're talking and and at some point in the conversation, this is my second or third conversation about this, I decided I'm just going to make this personal. I'm just going to, I'm going to share why this this question and this idea just doesn't even register for me. Um, And I basically told this guy, I said, man, if, if you... If you think that Jesus can be one of many ways to get to God, you, you don't know him. You don't know him. I, I said, one, you, you, don't, you don't understand the gravity of sin through the lens of scripture. That like, the problem wasn't that we were trying to get to God and we needed to get up this mountain and we just needed someone to show us the way and help us, right? It's not that at all. The idea is that we were dead at the base of the mountain with no desire and no ability to ascend to where God is because of our sin and our rebellion and our treachery against our creator. The problem is bigger than that. The problem needed more than just a guide to show us the way. And that's what separates Christianity from other religions. It says, Jesus came down the mountain at great cost to himself, loaded our dead body on his back and reconciled us to the God, um, the God that created us, his father, that it was his miraculous work that we could never accomplish on our own. And I, I said, man, if you, if you think that there's a, it's possible to worship other gods alongside Jesus, you just don't, you don't know Jesus. Like, when I think about Jesus and how great he is and the grandeur and the majesty of God, there's simply no room on the altar for anything or anyone else to compare to his greatness. When you understand how great he truly is, it just excludes the even possibility that anything else would be held up next to him as his equal. So I thought about that this morning and I thought, man, maybe it would be cool to just take some take some scripture references that talk about the grandeur of God and his uniqueness and how he alone has that place of worship rightfully and just kind of compile them together. So kids, are you guys still listening? All right, guys, I'm gonna read you quite a bit of a text right here. This is all from your Bible. This is all stuff straight from scripture, but it talks about the greatness and the majesty and the grandeur of God. So just listen as I read these texts. To whom then will you compare me that I would be like him? I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. I am the first and the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me, says the Lord? Let him proclaim it. Who shut in the seas with doors when they burst out of the womb? And said, thus far you shall come and no farther. 
And here shall your, proud, shall your proud waves be stayed. Who has measured the waters in the hollows of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in the measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? There is none who can deliver from my hand, says the Lord. I work and who can turn it back? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint and weary. His understanding is unsearchable. If he should set his heart and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God Will stand forever. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of earth as emptiness. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in thick clouds and by his power he stills the sea. By his wind the heavens were made glorious. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent, and these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. For you, our Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted above all gods. Who would not fear you, O king of nations? For indeed, that is your due. For among all the wise ones of all the nations and all their kingdoms, there is none like you. That is why there is no room for any other God to be compared to Jesus. There is no one like him. No one. To whom will you compare me, says the Lord, that I should be his equal? Guys, Jacob, Jacob knew that God. And he knew him to the point that he said, there's no room for these idols among us anymore. But Jacob also needed reminders of that. And you and I are no different. That even if you know the greatness of God, you need to hear it and you need to be reminded of it again and again and again. You need the same stories repeated over and over. Because I said this at the beginning, that most of the events in chapter 5 are repeats of previous chapters. In chapter 28, God also spoke to Jacob at a place called Bethel. In chapter 28, after God spoke to Jacob, Jacob named the place of Bethel, which means house of God. And he said, truly, this is the house of God. This is where God interacts with man. And in response to that, in chapter 28, God confirmed the blessing and promise of Abraham would be fulfilled in Jacob. God confirms the exact same thing in this text. We saw last week in chapter 33 that God had already renamed Jacob Israel, but here in this text, God tells him again, your name will not be Jacob, but your name will be called Israel. But he needed to hear it again because he grew through repetition. And this is such a practical truth for us this morning, right? I mean, 
Kids, are you guys still listening? I want you to raise your hand if you feel like your parents tell you the same thing over and over. Anybody? Yeah. Well, let, let me just say this to you. That means they love you a lot. Did you know that? It does. Yes, ma'am. It does mean they love you a lot. They, if your parents are telling you the same things over and over and over, it's because they care about you and they want you to know them. And it's not because they think you're not smart. It's because we're no different that we need to hear the same things over and over. Kids, that's why your parents bring you here week after week after week. Guys, we don't, we don't show up on Sundays hoping to learn something new, hopefully. You may learn some new things from time to time. That's going to happen. But especially if you've been following Jesus for a while, guys, look out in this room. Some of you guys, you've, you've read your Bible front to back probably more times than you can count on one hand. You're probably not going to hear anything new. But you still need to be reminded. We still need to keep this in front of us week after week, day after day. I was thinking about this with my kids. We're reading a book called Theology. Um, it's a really, really good children's book, and we're kind of coming to the end of it, and I thought, well, now, now my kids, after having read this, my kids should have a great understanding of theology now. So I guess we can move on, right? I mean, of course not, right? Of course, like, even though, even if they locked away every single thing said in that book and have a perfect systematic theology of God at this point, which is probably not true, but even if they did, we wouldn't be done, right? I mean, we would still tell the same story, still uphold the same truth, still remind ourselves of the things of God over and over and over. Because that's, that's biblical. I want you to see some of the comments Paul made. Paul, when he was writing to his protege, Timothy, who was a pastor, and it's at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy, and he's instructing Timothy, and he's saying, here's what you need to give yourself to. Here's what you need to labor towards. This needs to be your focus as you lead the people of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 14. Remind them of these things. Remind them of these things. Timothy, Paul's just been talking about the gospel, about Jesus, how Jesus came to save us. And he says, Timothy, here's what I want you to do with your time. Remind everyone of this. Yeah, they already know it. Yeah, they've heard it. But remind them. Tell them again that Jesus loves them and died for them and wants to know them. Keep telling them that. Second Peter, Peter unapologetic unapologetically tells this church that he's away from, that he's going to keep reminding them of the same things. Look at this, 2 Peter 1, 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Because in some ways, following Jesus is, is a lot like playing a sport or a musical instrument. Think about how um, sometimes I'll come play basketball up here at the Y, and it's probably been a really long time since I learned a new move. Like a, a really long time, right? Um, not exactly adding a lot of, uh, you know, Euro steps or stuff like that, double, double behind the back, Steph Curry moves to my game, right? But what I am doing is I'm, I, I'm not losing it, right? I mean... All of it. Um, probably lost some, but I, I'm staying with it. I'm, I'm, I'm staying in the game. I'm keeping it in front of me, and by doing so, I'm not drifting. And it, it, let me just say, if for no other reason, 
You should keep reading your Bibles and you should keep coming to worship so you don't drift away because you will. Ask anyone who's ever learned to play a musical instrument. You play that, you play it really well. You don't touch that piano or that guitar for five years. Do you come right back and pick it up like riding a bike? No. I mean, you you may retain some of it, right? But you're gonna have lost some things in that time when you didn't keep it in front of you. That's what we're doing here. Setting our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, week after week after week. And I can make you this commitment that if you, if you come to this church, if you're visiting Crosspoint, you're, maybe you're believing in Jesus and you're looking for a church home, here's what I'll promise you. We will remind you of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ on your behalf as a sacrificial atonement for your sins so that you could cry out to God and be saved every single week. Every week you will hear that. It's as tempting as, as preachers to think that that we need, to, we need to come up with some new ideas you know, to keep everyone coming back so that there'll be an anticipation of we don't know what's gonna happen this week. Here's what's gonna happen this week. I'm gonna talk to you about what God has said through his word, about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We're gonna be reminded of that again as we take the Lord's Supper and then we're gonna sing about his greatness. That's what we do. We're reminding ourselves, keeping it in front of us. Though we may be established in them, though we may know them, we think it right, like Peter, as long as we are here, to stir you up by way of reminder of these things. And here's the cool part. As we do that and as we grow, even if we're not learning new things, God will become bigger to us. Kids, you still listening? And that was, that was a really long, yes, Pastor Kai. I think you guys are fading on me. Okay, um, you guys are, um, how many of you guys have ever seen your parents pick something up, your mom or your dad, that's something that you thought was really heavy and you're like, I can't believe they just picked that up. Anybody? My kids better raise their hands here. Okay, so <laughs> I've had my kids say it to me before, like they'll be struggling with like a box or something and then they can barely move it and then I'll just walk up and, you know, pick it up with Emily's help. Um, but I, I'll walk up and pick it up and they're like, whoa, how'd you do that, right? And the idea there is, right, like the box didn't get lighter for me. It's not like somehow that box weighed less for me than it did for you. It's just that I have, I'm older and I've gotten bigger and I, I have gotten bigger relatively. That box is smaller, right? That doesn't seem like an overwhelming task to me because I've grown, because I've gotten bigger. But you know that in Christianity, it's backwards, that as we grow, God seems bigger. Now, God doesn't change. He doesn't actually become bigger and become greater, but that as we grow and mature in the faith, we ought to be more and more impressed and taken aback by the greatness of God. Not the opposite. A a spiritual growth that leads you to boredom And no longer being impressed with the greatness of God is no growth at all. True spiritual growth is being more and more impressed and taken aback by the gospel and the greatness of God. Some of you guys may have read the books uh, Chronicles of Narnia. I'm going to just close with this quote. Um, 
C.S. Lewis in that book has created this fictional world, if you don't know, um, if you haven't read it, where there's this, there's this magnificent lion who rules over all the lands. His name is Aslan. And Aslan is, is the king of the whole realm, the king of the world, the creator of the world. He's supreme. He's majestic. And these kids that enter into that world, they're interacting with him. One of them, his, her name is Lucy. And Lucy had been to Narnia before. She'd met Aslan. She'd interacted with him. But then she'd gone back to our world. And then she came back several years later. And look at this interaction. I want you to see this. Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. Aslan replies, that's because you were older, little one, answered he. And Lucy replies, not because you are. Aslan said, I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Guys, that that growth, it's not because she learned new things about Aslan she didn't know before. It's because as she grew and as she was reminded of the same things over and over, he became bigger in her eyes. May it be so with us. May we trust that like Jacob, we need to hear and see and go through the same stories, the same things, so that God would become greater to us and we would be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. I thank you for this story. And it's what a great reminder it's been to me this week of of my need for that, that I, maybe it should be, but it's, it's just, it's not enough to hear you once, to, to hear from your word once, to have one experience with you as Jacob did, but that we need that again and again and again. So God, I just ask you to um, impress that upon our hearts and help us to embrace and seek you, not, not to find new things all the time, but to be reminded again and again of your greatness and that there is no one who stands next to you. In Christ's name, amen.